Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. Website can be found at www.scriptureandprophecy.com. This is a stressful time for many of us, for all of us, as we await the unknown, as we watch the chaos unfold around the world and here in the United States, as we see the madness that surrounds the election and the deceptions and all the just trinkets and distractions and everything going on. But we must remember that it is God who is in control and that it is His Son Jesus who's propping His feet up on this world and whose kingdom is coming. And yet, in, one, in some senses, it's here and yet we await the final culmination of that. And it's coming soon. And we must remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. According to Hebrews 13, 8. And so regardless of how things look or how things feel or what anxiety we have or how much it looks like the enemy is winning. It's all coming to a head. Today we are looking and continuing our study in the Gospel according to Luke. We're looking at chapter 17, which gives us some instructions for forgiveness. Uh, it tells the parable or the story, not the parable, but the story of the ten leopards who were healed. Jesus explains that the kingdom is not just a physical sense, but there's a spiritual aspect in which the kingdom is already here. And then he talks about his second coming and how it'll be like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot and how destruction comes suddenly and unexpectedly upon a sinful world. We need to renew our confidence in God and in his word. And It's so hard right now for many of us to, to stay focused and to walk in faith. But there's never been more of a time in modern history where we really need to do that where we need to be detached from the world and attached to God and to his son Jesus and to that salvation that is found through faith and believing in him and the truth that we need is the truth of the word of God you know there's a famine that has come upon the land not a famine of food and water but a phantom, famine 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 of hearing the words of the Lord. In many places, churches are closed down, and in many aspects, people have grown weary of the church, how it's become corporized, and how it's more of about entertainment and self-help, and more about worldliness than it is about righteousness and holiness and the truth and the gospel. And so even though there's tens and tens and tens of thousands of churches and one on every corner and of every street of the United States of America, they're dying because they're not filled with truth anymore. And this, of course, this is not all of them. There's many good ones. But even though there's this great access to the word and there's a church on every street corner, there still seems to be a famine of, hear of the hearing of the truth of the word and true 
preaching of the word. And so I'm, I hope that that's what I've been accomplishing over the last six, seven years, however long it's been. I'm losing count. That you're getting truth, the meat. That you're hearing righteousness and holiness preached. And that you're being fed as a result of this work. Let's take a look at today's study. Chapter 17 in the Gospel according to Luke. We're going to read from the King James Bible. Let's begin. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and cast into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. Let's just stop right there real quick. What Jesus is saying is that if you, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the sea, which is, it's hard to imagine what could be better than that, than for you to cause a, a, a child to sin. There's great accountability in that to lead a lead a child astray, to lead a child into sin. Verse three: Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Please note, I love that line. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. I think I'm praying that now. Help my unbelief. Increase my faith. Give me a greater portion of faith. You know, the, the portion of faith that we have is given to us by God. And so I'm praying personally, God, I need, I need more. And as the times get darker and uglier and more bleak and more hopeless, I need more faith. Please give me more faith. And Jesus is also saying, look, no matter how many times somebody offends you, if they... If, listen, if they repent, you are to forgive them. How is it that you can forgive somebody who hasn't even asked for forgiveness? But if they come to you and they forget, they say, please forgive me for what I've done, you forgive them. Because that is God's attitude towards us. Even if it's seven times a day, Jesus says. If he comes to you and says, I repent, then you forgive. And there's scriptures where Jesus says, if you do not forgive... Your Father who is in heaven will not forgive you. Very, very important. Let's continue on here. Verse 7. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down and meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? 
I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all the things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. You know, I really think that little parable, the parable of the service, really goes against the grain of our entitlement mentality that the citizens of, of earth have nowadays. Where they think if they just do what's required of them, to do what's expected of them, that, that they should be rewarded in some way, or that people should just make over them because they did what's expected, they did the right thing to do, or they should just be given a raise at work and be paid more for doing what's expected to do, what they were hired to do at the rate they were hired to do it at. Jesus is saying here, look, do not, do not think, um, well, let's just read it here. First of all, he says, who of you have, who has servants out working in the field when they come in will tell them, go ahead and sit down and eat. No, you would say to them, Hey, get my stuff ready. Get my food ready. Feed me and get my, and I'm going to eat. And then you can do your thing. And then he says, does, does he owe those servants who are doing their job? who are doing what's expected of them, what they're being paid to do, does he owe them a bunch of thanks? He says, no. He says, so likewise, when you shall have done all the things which are commanded you, the things that are expected of you to do, don't just say to yourself, we're unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. In other words, just be humble about it. Don't think, oh, look at me, I did what's expected. (laughs) But that is the mentality unfortunately of society today there's very little humility what we have is arrogance and entitlement the complete opposite but that is the way of the world but we as followers of Jesus are to not to be in the way of the world right we're to walk in a different way we're to walk in humility and I think that's what that parable is teaching Let's continue on. I'm doing a lot of rambling today. Verse 11. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria in Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him a man that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the other nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise and go thy way, thy faith has made thy made thee whole. So this parable kind of or this story, I keep saying parable, but this story continues on that theme about humility, about gratefulness. You know. Here we have these ten people, and only nine or I'm sorry, yeah. Ten people and only one of the Jesus heals them of leprosy, an unhealable disease that separates you from society that forces you into a quarantine your whole life that eats away at your flesh they beg for mercy Jesus heals them and only one of them has 
the gratefulness in his heart to thank God. The other nine were just entitled. Well, I deserve this. Ungrateful, unthankful, no humility. This is just a story demonstrating how the world really is. And then the one person that actually takes the time to praise God wasn't even a Jew. He was a Samaritan. And the scriptures go out of the way to point this out. That it was the stranger, wasn't even an Israelite. Let's continue. Verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and he said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So please note, in this aspect, Jesus is not saying that the kingdom of God will not come in its finality. But, that in a spiritual sense, the kingdom of God is already here um, among us. And it's here by us, those of us who have the Holy Spirit in us. Now, these next few verses, 22 to 37, are where Jesus talks about his return and what it's going to be like. I would make the argument, and I talk about this stuff in my book. Matter of fact, there's like three areas that we're getting ready to cover that I talk about in the book. Uh, the End of Days, a 30-day devotional. Highly recommend you check it out if you have not already because it really breaks this stuff down. But I'm going to talk a little bit about it as we go. I know I'm talking a lot today, and I apologize for that. Verse 22, And he said unto his disciples, The days will come when you shall, when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of one part of under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. Please note what Jesus is getting at here is that don't be going after all these people saying that he's over here or he's over there because it'll be painfully obvious. When it happens, you will not be able to miss it. There'll be no mistaking it. It's like lightning, right? You see it. It's very clear what it is. It'll be obvious. Verse 25. But, the, but first must he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But that same day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And he that be in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife." Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in a bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered, and he said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. 
All right, let's go through this a little bit slower. I've talked about this a lot, so I'm not going to spend much time on it this morning. We've talked about what the days of Noah look like. We just did a whole series on the days of Lot. Okay. We know that we are living in a time like that, like both of those scenarios. Okay. There's two fulfillments of what Jesus is saying here. The first fulfillment was the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. They had a false sense of security, never thinking that that could happen. And the Romans came in and there was blood running in the streets. They tore down the temple. Many were killed. Jesus is saying, look, when you see this happen, like you're on the rooftop, which would make sense to people living in the Middle East, but it doesn't make much sense to us here in the Western world. Like, don't go back. Don't go back for your stuff. Remember what happened to Lot's wife when she turned back longing after that city, right? She And longing after her daughters or whatever. She was turned to salt. In other words, if you look back, you're you're looking to be destroyed, right? Like, don't even look back. You just got to go. And then in the same sense, when Jesus' final return comes, when his second coming comes, it'll be like this same scenario. The world will be oblivious. It'll be building, getting married, doing normal life, going about its normal business, being wicked, having a sense of false security, and then fire and brimstone rained upon them. Another thing to notice is that God's remnant is preserved. There's two things to notice about the remnant. Number one, it's very small. Noah was eight people. Lot was just him, his two daughters, and his wife, but his wife looked back, so it was just Lot and his two daughters. But there is that sense in which God's remnant is removed. I'm not, And I'm not preaching a pre-rapture type of doctrine here. I'm just saying... There's some form of protection for God's people, and then fire and brimstone is, is brought down. Okay, Sudden destruction comes upon the people of the world, living in a false sense of security, going about their own wicked ways, thinking nothing can happen, thinking all this nonsense about God's judgment is just nonsense. And Let me read to you what Matthew Henry says in his commentary. He says, the kingdom of God was among the Jews, or rather within some of them. It was a spiritual kingdom set up in the heart by the power of divine grace. Observe how I had been with the sinners formerly, and in what state the judgments of God, which they had been warned of, found them. Here is shown what a dreadful surprise this destruction will be to a secure, to the secure and sensual. Thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When Christ came to destroy the Jewish nation by the Roman armies, the nation was found in such a state of false security as it is spoken of. In like manner, when Jesus Christ shall come to judge the world, sinners will be found altogether regardless. For in like manner the sinner of every age go on securely in their evil ways and remember not their latter end. But wherever the wicked are, who are marked for eternal ruin, they shall be found by the judgments of God. That's kind of his explanation of what it means when Jesus says, wherever the body is, thither the angels will, or the eagles will be gathered together. He's saying, like, no matter where you are, you're going to be found, those who are wicked. In my book, I talk about how it also means it's going to be obvious, you know? 
Uh, here in the state of Indiana, we have these big, stupid, buzzard, ugly birds. They're huge and disgusting. They eat dead carcasses off the ground, which is probably necessary for the ecosystem, but they're just disgusting creatures. But you see them circling around out in a field, like flying in the air in a big circle. And when you see that, you know one thing is 100% sure. There's a dead carcass laying out there somewhere. You know it's 100%. I think that's kind of what this is getting at. It's, it's obvious. There's no questioning it. Well, there you have it, friends. There is our study for this morning. I fear that I've done too much rambling, and hopefully I haven't tainted uh, and compromised the blessing that comes from the Word of God by spending too much talking. I pray you've been blessed. And look... There's a famine in the land, and I'm doing the best I can with what I can do with my time and, and just resources and abilities and all of those things. If you, if you believe in what's being done here, consider supporting it by, go, by going to scriptureandprophecy.com, clicking on the support tab at the top. Peace and grace be with all of you. Until next time, God bless.